Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints uh, in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to thank this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how I greatly longed after you in all the bowels of Jesus Christ. After this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this portion you've directed our heart to today as we've tried to study and prepare uh, for the message this week, Lord. I pray, God, that you would uh, bless this text, use it for thy glory, and I pray that Jesus Christ be magnified in all that's said and done. And what you do, we'll thank you, and we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. When we read these verses this morning, there is a theme, there is a thought that is really I guess in these 11 verses, if if there was one verse that kind of cultivated, pulled everything together, it would be verse number 6 where Paul said, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. As I read that verse this week, I thought about a song that has been equated to a children's song, but really it is a Christian song. You know the song, He's Still Working on Me. To make me what I ought to be, it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, but how loving and patient he must be Cause he's still working on me. I don't know if you know it, but this song has verses to it. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be perfect just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. I love this verse. In the mirror of his word, reflections that I see makes me wonder why he never gave up on me. But he loves me as I am and helps me when I pray Remember, he's the potter and I'm the clay. He's still working on me. I'm glad Ephesians 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, though, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I learn in this verse we are his possession. He said, For we are his. We are his project. He said, For we are his workmanship. He 
is the pattern. The Bible said he's created in Christ Jesus, and he has a plan unto good works, and we're to walk that path, and he said, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. I'm glad when I got saved by the grace of God, God wasn't done with me. But every day that I live, he is working on me. He is fashioning me. He has started, he has began a good work in me. And Paul said he will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. I want to say I'm glad that positionally I am perfect in Jesus Christ. Positionally there is a part of me that is never sin. It is the part of the Spirit of God. But I still have this flesh. And I still have this old nature. And that's what God is working on every day of my life. I'm reminded in Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 4 when God told Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and he saw they wrote a work on the wheel and the vessel that the potter made was marred in the hand of the potter. So what did he do? So he made it again. You know what he's doing? He's still working on that piece. You know what? That that, that vessel had hope. You know why? It was in the potter's house. I'm going to tell you, there wasn't no hope for that clay outside in the, in the mud somewhere, in the dirt, in the field somewhere. There's no hope for it. Even though it was marred, thank God it was in the potter's house. You might be here today and say, Preacher, I've messed up my life. My life is marred. Hey, you're in the right place by being in the house of God. This vessel had hope because not only was it in the potter's house, it was in the potter's hand. Hey, the Bible didn't say that that vessel was flung up against the wall off that potter's wheel. No, it was marred. But where was it marred? It was still in the hand of the potter. And aren't you glad even though we failed and even though we stumbled that we've never walked out of his hand. We've never fell out of his hand. He has never forsaken us. We may have forsaken the Lord. We may have walked away from him. But thank God we are engraved in his hand. I'm, I'm glad he had hope is in the potter's house and in the potter's hand. But that vessel was in the potter's heart. So he made it again. He didn't give up. He didn't get frustrated and throw it off to the side and say, this piece of clay ain't worth working with. Oh, no, he just made it again. And the songwriter said over and over, he molds me and he makes me. You know why? Because he is still working on me. I thought about this. be a good title this morning. Lord, work on me in 2023. I tell you, if there's anything we need God to do, that He needs to work on us. How about you? I ain't perfect this morning. And that ain't a halo on top of your head. There might be some horns popping up somewhere, amen. I tell you, we need God to work on us. And Paul talks about in Romans 8 that He had fashioned us and conformed us to the image of His Son. That is the theme of these 11 verses. And I want to look at them this morning with this thought in mind. On He's still working on me. First of all, in verse 1 and 2, I'm just going to walk through these verses this morning. There is the common greeting. He's going, to, he's going to build up to this point, the common greeting. Notice, we note the author in verse number 1, Paul. This was Paul's custom as he opens up this epistle by identifying himself. That You know, we write letters. We sign our name at the end of it. they got to wait to the end of the letter to find out who wrote them. I think Paul might have been on to something. Go ahead and tell them who you are when you're first starting out. That way you can decide if you want to read it or not. But, it's, but this was Paul's custom. And Paul had a great hand and influence in starting the church at Philippi. 
We can go back to Acts 16 and we won't for the sake of time, but God used Paul because Paul had a burden and God, Paul had a burden for souls to preach the gospel and see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But as you read Acts 16, not only did Paul have a burden, but Paul fought some battles. Paul's preaching and this one girl will say more about her. She got saved. She got rid of those, those demons, got out of her and she quit making money for those that owned her. And they got mad and they accused Paul and and they, they had him locked up and thrown in prison. But Paul, even though he, he had a burden and he had battles, there were believers. And that made up the congregation of the church at Philippi. There's the author, there's the assistant. He says, and Timotheus. Now that word Timotheus, that is the same man, Timothy. We have first and second Timothy in our Bible. And Timothy got saved uh, right before Paul walked into Philippi when he was in Derby and Lystra. Timothy was a young man, and, and Paul preached the gospel, and Timothy was a product of Paul's preaching. Paul would later send Timothy back, as you'll read on the book of Philippians, to the church at Philippi on his behalf. Because when Paul writes the book of Philippians, he's not sitting at the Marriott Hotel. He's not in a good place. In fact, he's in a Roman prison. Not, not trying to be gross or graphic, but get you the picture. The sewage would run through the prison. Paul's chained to a wall. He's also chained to an end, to a guard on either side. There's very little light. There's nowhere to lay down. There's no common, no, no, no modern conveniences, nothing like that. You understand what I mean by that? Paul's in a bad place. But Paul, instead of feeling sorry for himself, says, I want to be a blessing. I want to be encouraged to that little group of believers at Philippi. And I'm going to have Timothy send this letter. There's the author, the assistant. There's the assignment. Here's what Paul said. We're the servants of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, that's something we're missing in this day and age is people that just serve. We're living in a day where everybody wants to be served, but not many people want to serve. This word servant here, I preached on before, it is the same word for bond servant. The word servant here means to give, a one who gives himself up to another's will. In other words, Paul said, I ain't doing what I want to do. I'm doing what God wants to do. But if you just ask Paul later, he said, but I want to do what God wants me to do. Amen. Delight thyself also in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. I don't think that verse means that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you a Mercedes. Help me now. I believe if you delight yourself in the Lord, God's going to give you the right desires and the spiritual desires in your heart to do for him. There is the, there is the audience in verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. The term bishop there is just another term for, for preacher, pastor, of course, we know what deacons are. But these saints is what caught my eye. If you read Acts 16, and we won't take the time, but maybe later in your Bible study you can look at it. The church at Philippi was a motley crew starting off. I mean, the first convert was Lydia, the seller of purple. She got saved by the riverbank. Then there was that demon-possessed woman that got saved. And then you remember the Philippian jailer? He got saved, him and his wife and all his house. And so that was the start of the Philippian church. But it's no longer Lydia, seller of purple. It's no longer the demon-possessed woman. It's no longer the jailer of Philippi. You know what Paul said? To them precious saints. Them, them, them people, that word saint there means holy and set apart. 
It means they're not what they used to be. He's no longer the Philippian jailer. She's no longer that demon-possessed woman. She's no longer Lydia Seller of Purple. Oh, but she's a saint in Jesus Christ. She's a part of the body. She's a part of the church. I'm telling you, there's no other greater organization to be a part of in this world than to be a part of the church of the living God. You realize that the church is the only thing on earth that's eternal? It's the only thing on earth that's eternal. The church of the living God. Then there's his, his admonishment. Paul's just laying the groundwork. Verse, five, verse 2. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Ain't that what we got when we got saved? We got grace and we got peace. There's the common greeting. But secondly, Paul's moving on. There's the Christian's gratitude. I thank, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from this day until now. When Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi, I remind you, sitting in that Roman prison, there's no light, there's no cot, no facilities. But Paul is thankful. And we sit in $100,000, $200,000 houses, driving twenty dollars and $30,000 vehicles, and that, that, don't, that don't necessarily mean it's a nice vehicle anymore either. Things just, thanks, Sleepy Joe, amen. That just means everything's went up. And then we have all these modern conveniences, and we're not thankful so many times. We had the missionary here Wednesday night to Zambia, Brother Salter. And you remember he was talking in the presentation about how to have that rainy season that comes in, and it floods the street. And I asked him while we was eating the meal, I said, Now, brother, what about y'all's church? Does y'all's church get flooded real bad? He said, well, no, thankfully, the usually the church itself does not get flooded. He said, but our property does flood. And I said, well, brother, how do y'all get to your building to worship? What do y'all do for church? And he kind of looked at me. He said, we just walk through the water. We're not talking about ankle-deep water. We're talking about waist-deep. We're not talking about clear water. We're talking about filth. But he said, they come. They come to church. And I thought, shame on us in America. One of our four cars don't start. We think it's the tribulation period. I mean, I mean, and, they, and they, they go to church and they worship God. Paul in this text is thankful. There's the spoken remembrance in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, Paul is a great Christian, but Paul's also a human. And let's just be honest. He probably got a little discouraged sitting in that Roman prison. He's chained to them guards, no light, not much help. Not much going on. He can't get out and do like he could. But he got to remember the church at Philippi. Oh, and he got to remember. I think he remembered the day Lydia got saved. I think he remembers being down there by that riverbank and talking to her about the Lord. And the Bible said that the Lord opened Lydia's heart. I think Paul remembered that. I think Paul remembered that demon-possessed woman falling around and Paul got tired of it and cast that devil out and she got born again. I think Paul remembers that night when they was locked up in prison and their backs had been beaten. But instead of complaining and griping, they began to sing and give thanks to God and pray. And, the, and God liked what he heard. He did the jailhouse wrong long before Elvis ever came along and that jailer came in and he said sirs what must I do to be saved I think Paul remembered that and Paul said yeah I'm in a bad place but when I think about what God's done for you and I think about when remember how God saved you I thank my God upon every remembrance of you oh Dolly Rambo said roll back the curtain of memory now and then show me where I started from 
and where I could have been. Lord, you know, I'm human, and we humans, we forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. There's a spoken remembrance. But then there is the supplicating request, verse 4. He said, you're always in every prayer of mine. Making, for you all, making requests with joy. According to this verse, if I'm reading it correctly, and I believe I am, every time Paul prayed, he said, Lord, thank you for that little group at Philippi. Thank you for the church. He said, always in every prayer of mine. So apparently after Acts 16, Paul never stopped praying for the church at Philippi. As far as we can tell, Paul never even got to go back to Philippi. He's going to die from this Roman prison. But he said, I'll tell you, every time I bow my head and pray, God brings you to my heart. God brings you to my mind. And I want you to know, from, from down here in, Romans, in, in a Roman prison, this preacher's praying for you. There's a special relationship. Verse number, three, verse number five. He said, he said, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day. What's that first day? Acts 16. He said, I, I appreciate the fellowship we've had from the very first day until now. Adrian Rogers, I was reading him this week. He said, what does Winnie the Pooh and John the Baptist have in common? They both have the same middle name. You'll get that after a while. The, all right. I read, I, I read that in Adrian Rogers' book. No lie. I'm not, I'm not lying this time. But he made this statement. Thus, what does a philosopher have in common with a traveling sales lady, a former fortune teller, and a jailer? They were all a part of the family of God. You know, they all come from different backgrounds. They all come from different places. But Paul said, we have fellowship in the gospel. We have fellowship in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, all of us today come from a different background. All of us today come from a different place. But we come in here this morning and behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Why do we have that unity? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find the, the common greeting, the Christian's gratitude. Now he's getting to, to that sanctification part. There's the confident guarantee in verse 6, 7, and 8. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, Insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. For God is my record. Do you hear, Paul? Do you hear his heart? How I greatly long after you in all the bowels of Jesus Christ. Contextually, there's the Almighty's creation being confident in this very thing. Verse 6, that he which hath begun a good work in you. The word work here means any product, whatever, anything accomplished by hand. Remember? He's the potter, I'm the clay. He said, um, I'm confident that He, God, the Almighty, the one that began a good work in you. I tell you, if God is doing anything in your life, He started it. We're not self-made men or ladies here today. In fact, if it wasn't for God, we couldn't even breathe. God is the one that gives life. God is the one that gives breath. The Almighty's creation. But then there is the assured completion. He will perform it. He didn't say that He might. He said he will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. That day of Jesus Christ is the rapture of the church. Whether I'm taken by the grave or I'm taken by the rapture, 
I'm kind of wanting to go by that second one. Somebody said, are you scared of dying? No, I'm just scared of the way I'm going to die. B.R. Lakin said, if I knew where I was going to die and when I was going to die, I'd never go there at that time. I'm not afraid of what lies beyond death, though. My hope is secured at Calvary. Oh, but I'm just not you know, going to step out in front of a truck. Somebody say amen there. But whether I go by death or by the rapture, he is going to complete that work. Somebody said, well, what is that completion? I'm going to be like him. I'm going to tell you what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to of getting rid of me. Some of y'all are looking forward to getting rid of me too. Not in the same context. I'm looking forward to getting rid of this flesh. You realize that one day you'll sin your last sin. You'll have your last bad thought. You'll have that last, that last thing that grieves the heart of God. I'm glad there's coming a day oh, when that rapture takes place and I get that glorified body. I'll never break the heart of God again. You know why? Because He will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew not Him. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Paul said this corruption is going to put on incorruption. And this mortal is going to put on immortality. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much you know, your labor is not in vain. I'm glad there's coming a day when we'll lay these these fleshly, fleshly tabernacles down. This robe of flesh is but a prison. Bars of bones hold my soul. But the door to hell is going to open, open one day. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be what he always wanted me to be. I'll be like him. No, I'm not going to be a god. We're not Mormons here today. I'm a son of God. One day I'll be in his image. Conform to his likeness. I remember in the book of the Revelation, John bows down to the man's feet and begins to worship him. And that man gets John up and says, No, don't worship me. One man said, If that's in the future, John could have been bound at your feet. Wouldn't it be good? I remember uh, I've been thinking a lot, and that's dangerous. But I've been thinking a lot of the last few weeks. We'll celebrate 10 years here at the church as pastor in a couple of weeks. And I've been just been thinking about some memories. I remember Brother Bobby Robertson preaching here one time. And sure do miss him and appreciate his ministry. But he told a story about this little boy that was poor and homeless and walking down the street. Didn't have any shoes. And uh, this man saw that and had compassion on him. And took the little boy in a shoe store and bought him a pair of shoes. Just a little fella. And uh, bought some socks and gave that boy some shoes. That little boy looked at him and said, um, Sir, are you Jesus? He said, No, I'm not Jesus. He said, Well, what you did was sounds like something that Jesus would have done. I never got over that story. Brother Bobby said, Wouldn't it be nice if somebody mistook you for Jesus? The way you lived your life. That you did something that made people remember Jesus and think of him. 
Oh, but one day, no, I won't be a little God. I'm not going to, nothing like that. But I'll be in His image. I'll be in His likeness. This flesh will be gone. No more sin. No more breaking the heart again. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. There's the Apostles' Confession. Look at verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. Listen to his heart. For God is my record. How I greatly long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. There's two things here. He makes an assumption in verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. In other words, he said, it's right for me to think and to consider that God is working on you. He said, because if you're saved, God is working on you. Can I ask you a question? God working on you? There are areas of your life that God's working on. Hey, he'd say, you can do better here. You don't need to be doing that. Hey, you know, you, hey, you know what, I don't have to name what it is. If God's working on you, you know what he's working on you about. And Paul said, it's, it's just naturally right for me to assume that God is working on you. But then there's his affection. Because I have you in my heart. In so much as both in my bonds and defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. For God is my record. How I greatly long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He said, I miss you. I miss seeing y'all. I miss fellowshipping with you. I, I want to get back and worship with you again. Paul will never get that opportunity. But I'll tell you what Philip I knew. Paul loves us. Paul's praying for us. Even though he can't get to us, he loves us. He's praying for us. I love the people of God, don't you? Some people want to run down the church and run down God's people. Sure, there's some bad apples in the bunch, but there's some bad plumbers out there. That'll make all plumbers bad. There's some, some bad electricians out there. That'll make all electricians bad. There's some bad car salesmen, but there ain't, that'll make them all bad car salesmen. There's some bad politicians out there. Anyway, uh, but it, but what I'm saying this morning is, yeah, there's bad, there's bad everywhere. But I'll tell you, God's been better to me, and I've seen enough real in church to make me forget about all the nuts and the weirdos that I've met in church. Amen. Somebody said the gospel light will attract some strange bugs. But I'm glad for the church. I'm glad for this congregation of believers. Lastly, there is the continual growth. Verse 9 through 11. Remember, we're preaching on he's still working on me. Paul said he's going to Paul said he's going to finish that work. But until then, verse 9. Notice the abounding and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. God's going God's gonna to finish that work. But until then, Paul said, uh, your love needs to abound more. You need to abound in love. The Bible says in Romans 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. We're to love. We're to love one another. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, by the love that you have one for another. There ought to be Christian love in, in this Christian fellowship. But in the context of this phrase where he says, of knowledge and all judgment, John Phillips said, love is not to be mistaken for lust. Nor does love operate without law. I love my wife this morning. But did you know that our love is based on a law? 
we have a marriage license. Legally, we are married. So our love is based according to the law. So love does not go beyond the Love does not destroy the law. Love is established by law. Then watch what he says. Love knows no limits. It knows where to draw the line. While we can love all men, we do not love all that they do. Vance Habner said, if we love the world the way that Jesus loves the world, we would never love the world the way we're not supposed to love the world. Paul said, you're love, the abounding. But then notice the approval in verse number 10. That you may approve all things that are excellent. The word approve means to test, to examine, to recognize as genuine. How do you, it talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5, to prove all things. How do you do that? By the word of God. I say this all the time, church. You base everything you hear by this book. It don't matter if it's a preacher. It don't matter if it's a Sunday school teacher. It don't matter who it is. If it don't line up with the King James Bible, it's not right. Because this is the litmus test. Amen. Some guys think that, that, that every time they speak, it's inspired and they say nothing wrong. They're liars. Because, because at the end of the day, it's what this book says that matters. He said, you, there's the approval. Test it by the Word of God. Then there's the authenticity, verse 10. That you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. The word sincere means pure or unsold. The word offense means having nothing to strike against, not causing to stumble. In other words, Paul says, um, yeah, God's working on you, ain't he? Well, you need to make sure that you're sincere and you're not throwing a stumbling block in front of another brother. In other words, he said, make sure you guard your testimony. That whole thing. Well, nobody's perfect. Oh, yeah, Jesus is. And I'm to be conformed to his son. Somebody said, do you believe in sinless perfection? No, I'll never reach sinless perfection in this body. But every day I live, I ought to strive not to sin. I ought to strive not to do wrong. I ought to strive not to break the heart of God. There's the authenticity. Warren Wearsby said, there are two great tests to follow as we exercise spiritual discernment. One... As far as, should I do this or should I not do this? He said, there's two ways to judge that. One, will it make others stumble? And two, would I be ashamed if I was doing it when Jesus came back? That's pretty good. That's a good way to be authentic. We need real Christians in this day. We don't need fake. You know what people say? I ain't going to that church. It's full of hypocrites. But they go to Walmart and there's hypocrites there. And they go to Cracker Barrel and there's hypocrites there. I like one preacher said, I'd rather go to church with hypocrites than go to hell with hypocrites. And I know there's hypocrites, but just don't, you just don't be one. You be real. You walk with God. You have some authenticity in your life. Lastly, I know I'm done because all the kids are letting me know. Amen. They have that clock in them. Amen. They just know when 30 minutes is done. Hey, I like it. Amen. I like it. Ain't it, ain't it a blessing we have a church with all these children? I can take you to church. We ain't got no kids. I'm glad we got them. Verse 11. I'm done. Kids, I got the candy bowl. Just hang on with me for 30 seconds. I'm done. All right. Verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the praise and glory of God. What is this fruit of righteousness? I believe it's a direct correlation with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I don't believe when Jesus said, Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit in John 15. I don't think he's talking about souls there. I believe the context is talking about spirituality. He said, because abide in me. I'll tell you this and I'm done. 
I've told you about it before, but it just fits this message. All about us bearing fruit. He's working on us, right? We ought to bear fruit. Brother Eddie Davis talks about his apple tree. And uh, Brother Eddie said his, he had, his daddy died and he inherited that land. You've heard him tell it. I've told it. He said there's a, there's a real nice apple tree. But Brother Travis said it had a lot of apples on it, but it was only about that big. And they, and you could, they wasn't ripe enough to eat. And he was trying to figure out what to do. He said, one of the older men in my church said, Preacher, you need to prune that tree and cut it back. And he said, I mean cut it all the way back. He said, I took my saw and I cut that thing all the way back. He said, it looked horrible. It looked awful. And he said, but about the next, next season come around, he said, I had these big old apples hanging. He said, now I had less, less apples than before. He said, I had a bunch of little ones before. He said, but I had these great big apples now. He said, I had less apples, but I had more fruit. And he said, I never would have got that had I not cut some things out. Preacher, why, God, why is God cutting things out of my life? I'll tell you why. To produce more fruit. Come on, Brother Matthew. He's trying to produce more fruit. Can I take you back to the song that I opened up with? You really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Work in progress. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be perfect according to his plan, fashioned by the master's hand. In the mirror of his word I see. In the mirror of his word, reflections that I see. It makes me wonder why he never gave up on me. But he loves me as I am, and he helps me when I pray. Remember, he's the potter, and I'm the clay. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Don't miss this line. But how loving and how patient he must be because he's still working on me.